Tonight I'll talk about the, uh, the wisdom, wisdom of, of suffering, the wisdom of dukkha. What I mean is that uh, um, understanding dukkha and understanding the origin and the cessation of it is what makes it all worthwhile. Um, I'd imagine that uh, the normal reaction, normal responses that we have, however subtle, uh, that make it such a prolonged and and wearying and humiliating experience, is uh, is trying to not suffer, or trying to kind of kick it out, or find a way that it won't happen again. The kind of, or the inner complaining and the feeling of failure that comes up to find that here you are disempowered again. <laughs> your, your nasty mind has just walked all over you again. You had all these lovely, nice little dumber quotes inserted and then your mind just like some impish brat has rushed and torn them all up and uh, kind of made you all roar, roar and uh, weeping, or roar and raging again, or roar and confused again. Mm. No, I don't want to suffer. Uh, I'm deep, feel, feel deeply resentful about it. Why, you know, one of the great religious kind of questions, the cry of the soul is, why are we put here to suffer? Why did God make us suffer? Why did we get born into this thing, this form of death-bound form, to experience suffering, you know? Why did we get born into these bodies, these ungratifiable bodies, with these ungratifiable, unfulfillable instincts that we can never get enough of, can't get rid of? What a sick joke. They're <laughs> <laughs> feeling they take it all very personally as if it's, you know, one's, one's kind of in a corner with it because you can't, you can't bear it and yet you can't abolish it, you can't get rid of it and you, you can't avoid it either. So you're in this strange, you know, like imprisoned. And maybe the, the core, when it comes down to it, why, why do you, what is suffering? What is dukkha to you? Is it, you know, no, what is it, is it like you feel angry, you feel guilty, you feel miserable, you feel pain, you feel sense of self-aversion, you feel what? But when it comes down to it, what's the, the underlying experience? You know, when I look into my mind, and I, you know, I can find suffering over people not being the way I want them to be. I can find suffering over um, not feeling appreciated. I can find suffering over over uh, not getting what I want or these kinds of things. So when it comes down to it, you know, however form it takes, it gets down to the, the feeling of being dumped on, being powerless, being helpless, like being held down and something you don't want is being rubbed into you. <laughs> and you can't do anything about it. 
It's, a, it's the oppressedness that's the suffering, the feeling of, to my mind anyway, just really, I'm sure you get enough suffering. So really have a good look at it. and Because the path is described as fully understanding suffering. Suffering is to be fully understood. This is stage one. There is suffering. Suffering is to be fully understood. Get a good close-up look at it. (laughs) Don't be shy about it. (laughs) Or bashful or half-hearted. Get in there and suffer. Guiltlessly, and uh, it's your right, <laughs> your constitutional right, the right, to, the right to suffering, <laughs> and the pursuit of suffering. So when we, you know, when you look at it, whatever's whoever's doing it to you, or whatever's doing it to, you, to my mind, the feeling is one of feeling crushed under something that I I don't want to be with. I don't see why I should have to be with this, and I don't like it. Uh, and that, the oppression of it, it's, it's taking it personally. Like the, the suffering of, of pain isn't really a problem. It's not like physical pain is a problem. It's not being able to get out of it that's the problem. You know, it's not the actual painful impingement. It's the feeling cornered by it. Because we suffer a tremendous amount over, over just psychological things of feeling embarrassed or being with, with wounded emotions and, and you can't get out of it is the problem. Why, why are meditation treats so much suffering? Because in a way there isn't anything to, to get out of. You can't, I mean you can run away, you can kind of bury yourself in a magazine or something for a while. But, but you know, sooner or later the, these places set up to have not many bolt holes in them, just enough to make it bearable, but but not you know not many bolt holes, not many escape routes. You you're, you're left with yourself. You you know like not talking and not having things going or not entertainments. Is you, you know you, you come back to being with your with being with yourself. And that's suffering, isn't it? Being with yourself. Mm-hmm. I mean, it may not be acutely miserable, but it's constricted and it's limited. Now, as I was saying the other day, the three kinds of dukkha, the dukkha of direct pain, the dukkha of transiency, the way that things decline and fall away, separate, and the dukkha of, of conditionality, the, the, the dukkha of this structure of self. Now, when you look at it, actually, that is the, that's the, the core of all the others. Like if, if, if there's pain, but it doesn't, you don't take it personally, that is, you don't attach to it, you don't resist it, and you don't, you know, this is not the mental response to it, then it, it doesn't, doesn't matter, does it? Uh, we, can, we can do quite a lot of painful feeling when we were playing sport, you know, I mean, it's, pro- it's actually, believe it or not, it's more painful than meditating. <laughs> you know, but because we, but we're not, we have, we're our attention somewhere else. We, have, we call it, it's called having a good time. 
but it's the, the, the core feeling of it is, is this sense of being with something that one doesn't want, one hasn't chosen to be with. And this is essential to the, the, the sense of self is always this sense of being a separate entity other than what's going on, other than what's happening. If there's no, if, if there's no experience of being separate, then the sense of self disappears. So when we talk about sen- the sense of self, it's actually an attitude and a way in which experience is, is psychologically, or how you like to put it, is internally, mentally structured and defined as me, and that's other than me, rather than experience itself. It's that particular mode or that this is what self is about. Selfhood is a mode of experiencing things in terms of this and other than, as absolute entities. And when you consider it, then, you know, when the states of, of uh, when, the, when that drops away, when there's a bliss or union or deep relaxation, and then there's, there's that sense of oneness where, where that, that feeling isn't, isn't present. And then notice, sometimes, even when there's nothing acutely painful happening, what it's like to feel alone, what alone means, or alienated, or separate, or not belonging to anybody or anything, or having no purpose or meaning. The the strange, wearying dukkha of that. Without it being, without really anything being acutely painful. How, why we like to be with friends, we like to be with familiar things, because it, it, we don't feel so alone then, we feel we're connected to something. And these are just fundamental uh, psychological habits and experiences, you know, uh, rather than, than uh, particular, you know, grossly painful or, you know, or even, co- even that consciously sought out, they're kind of instinctive experiences that we have, the sense of aloneness. Now it doesn't mean, you know, aloneness doesn't mean just being physically without anybody else around, because we can do that. We can be physically without other people around and not feel alienated, alone. We can feel at one with nature. We can feel uh, we are, you know, like if our meditation is going well, we feel a sense of uh, that we are at one with our minds, our hearts. There's this sense of, of um, what samadhi is about, really. is like a sense of, of connectedness, deep connectedness on a heart level. And then there isn't any. You know, we feel it's, it's okay to be without other people around. And you notice with other people around, you can still feel terribly alone. Sometimes you can feel more alone when there's other humans around because you don't know what whether they like you or what he's doing or what she's thinking or how do I relate to her or what about him and so that in big cities it can be terribly miserable experience of aloneness with seven million people around you because there's seven million potentially hostile unknown uh, people who, who you don't feel you belong to so aloneness doesn't mean physically it's, it's a psychological state the state of self is, is not, a, not actually a physical reality. You know, we can't help, we've got these body things, you know, that means that this body is certainly separate from other bodies. Uh, but that 
that doesn't have to bring around by itself, that doesn't have to bring around the sense of separation. So it's important to recognize that where the sense of self and, and, and this particular kind of suffering is not just purely uh, conditioned by physical existence, by the fact of having a body that dies. That, that itself is not suffering. The suffering is taking the body that dies as being what I am and then the habits that come up from that. Because, of course, we can suffer or we can experience this sense of dis-ease or disjointedness taking, taking ourselves to be anything, any position, any point, any feeling, any attitude, any, any state, any mind state. It must be that way because once you are something, then, then that very fact of being this means you're not something else. So there's a potential conflict there. If I have a particular set of views, opinions, beliefs that I hold, and I hold them because they make me feel you know, good or clear or right, then it means there's going to be people I disagree with. Things that I don't uh, you know, that one stands against. Any kind of um, habits or, or preferences that I, I identify with mean that are suffering. Because if they go wrong, if I don't get them, then I, there's pain, a conflict. I like a particular kind of food, it doesn't turn up. Pain. If I like a particular kind of person, they're not there. Pain. If I like a particular kind of climate and it doesn't happen, pain. <laughs> yeah. It's identifying with taking a stand on, on anything in this way as, as being oneself, as this is what I depend on, this is what I want and what I like and what I have to have, is pain. Dukkha. And then as long as one, as long as there's this tendency to take anything personally as a self, then what are you going to take personally as a, and as self? Well, what a choice have you got? You've got body, then you've got, uh, then you've got mind or mind states. Um, you've got philo- philosophies, you've got religions, you've got ideological viewpoints then you've got sort of cultural standpoints and you've got um, you know, all kinds of, of ideas and views and so forth that one stands for. This is what I am. This is what I, I believe in. This is what I want. And the sense of self will naturally inclines towards that which is agreeable. It looks for that which is agreeable and therefore finds conflict with what it doesn't agree with. So, with any, if there's any taking of self, then even if we're not actually experiencing suffering, we're setting up the context for it. And generally, most people find that their lives or uh, get around this point by taking something of self and making sure that the opposite doesn't happen. Or trying to make sure the opposite doesn't happen. 
which you know with with a bit of wangling and you can we can generally manage so we can kind of you know what our societies are about are trying to create things that we we agree with we feel good about it doesn't cause it it it's, it's in, it doesn't actually work because you still have to experience separation death now you know you can you can have yourself deep frozen in liquid nitrogen until you know and come back in hundred years time but and suffer again <laughs> so, uh, obviously this this point it takes a, people just take it takes a lot of swallowing you know because there's still a feeling that somewhere along the line there must be a way out of suffering where one can be something you know just the question of waiting for the right time or the right place or you know getting setting up the right conditions but setting up the right conditions is suffering you know the amount of manipulating and, and effort and strain and holding that has to go on to make sure you know you get your whatever it is on time and you, your regular shot of this and your favorite one of those and you know and then the, the, the you know the pain with people you like and then you have to say goodbye it's sort of painful isn't it and how what it it, because that habit is so strong in us that what we like we latch on to instinctively and want to have more of it is there anything that you like that you don't want to have any more of? You say, I like that, don't let's have, any, don't let's have it again. <laughs> <laughs> Once was enough, you know. So, uh, how, so in, th- in this holding is this attachment means that it's a part of one's Psychologically, while well, one's psyche, part of one's self, is then made or stimulated or supported by the motorbike, the holiday, the uh, the friend, the music, the you know, and therefore it's it's uh, it you one's one becomes kind of owned by these things that whose nature is to break up and pass away, and so every time one of these goes, there's a wrench in the heart and then the, the amount of suffering that's, that's, that's created trying to hold it all in to hold it together so that's stress isn't it trying to hold it all together is stress and I think as one practices one begins to get a you know, we, we tend to transfer our, our agreeable experiences, our agreeable self-experiences to, to say, to, to meditation or to refined states of consciousness or to, you know, even to belonging to something. Which is all, you know, this isn't, being con- get, this isn't condemning or judging, it's just recognizing the, the, what, what we do and uh, in, the pra- in Buddha's teachings he's saying you know you can 
at least to transfer it to something that's more, uh, more long-lasting and agreeable and, and takes less stress is wise. So if you're, if you're transferring your, your belongingness to, say, your own heart or mind or to, to um, a practice, that's a little more reliable than, than, than holding on to you know, some very external object that you can't really guarantee to have. So, you know, the, the, um, your physical appearance, for example, just to be, to be able to let go of that so you don't mind it aging or deteriorating or things it tends to do. You know, if you belong to your, the purity of your own heart, it's a lot better thing to invest in than, uh, say, physical appearance or, or wealth. But in the end, in the end of it, and the practice, so the practice of, of understanding suffering and, and getting to the end of it, we can take this in a kind of graduated way, so that, and then the ultimate, ultimately, and the two tend to go together because as one takes it in the graduated path, which is say we we start to re- recognise well. You know, you, you save yourself a lot of suffering if you give up, say, getting uh, drink and drugs. You know, if you give up these unwholesome habits, you save yourself a lot of aggravation, a lot of, uh, so you get a lot more contentment. The, the sila itself, and, and so your speech doesn't leave bad taste in your mouth. Or, you, you know, you don't have to suffer the repercussions of unskillful speech or unskillful behaviour. That certainly is helps. And as you do that, then your, your mind becomes clearer and you're able to, to see more deeply into the roots of it and begin to use the practice of meditation, investigation, insight to, um, to understand. And then the next stage is to abandon. Suffering must be abandoned to relinquish it, to give it up. And this is um, very uh, characteristic <coughs> practice of, of Buddha Dharma. Now I would say that the, the origin of suffering has to be abandoned, which doesn't mean that suffering has to be ignored or avoided but suffering has to be understood so that you can see into the origin of it. And the origin of it is this attachment, this sense of self, which is a mixture of both uh, craving, long, oh, wanting to be, wanting to have, wanting to own, wanting not to be, wanting to have a certain state, wanting to be secure, wanting to not be bothered, and this kind of, all this wanting. And more fundamentally than that is is underneath it is the myth, the wrong seeing or the, the, the ignorance which doesn't understand this, which doesn't uh, recognize that, that there's no way in which we can ever fulfill the wanting. And which is a rather, you know, daunting, but then the, 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 understanding of the Buddha is that it's not necessary to want because you already have 
And this is the problem of ignorance. You don't know what you are. You don't know what's there. You don't know what you have. Because one, the whole way of seeing and considering and reviewing, experiencing things goes through this, this mechanism, this self-mechanism, which is based on holding on to positions. It's based on a sense of, 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 of being finite and limited. And therefore, uh, because we, we can't see the totality, we can't see wholeness, because we, the whole system of seeing is constricted into this pattern of holding onto a body, holding onto a feeling, holding onto some mental construction or another. Now, direct uh, practice is to abandon, and then the, the cessation of suffering is to be recognized, to be made real, to be realized. Realization is, uh, doesn't just mean un- understanding, it means to actually experience it directly. So it's got this kind of dual meaning. One realizes it, but then it's made real, not theoretical, not abstract, not what it says in the book not just a matter of belief or, or, or thinking it, but ex- really experiencing it. Abandonment and, and, and realization are the notes of the practice path. And the abandonment is the abandonment of this craving. Now, when it comes down to experiencing dukkha, you Ask yourself when you witness it, well, like what it's made up of. To my mind, it's made up of something that I don't want. I don't want to be in a position that I don't that I don't feel comfortable in, physically or psychologically. I don't want to be in a, you know. So sometimes it's difficult being you know being in a position of being a teacher because I. I don't always want to be a teacher. I don't always want to be the person supposed to have all the answers and guide it and tell everybody else where it's at. I don't, you know, I don't want to do that. Because, you know, so, you, 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 know you, you get tired of it. <laughs> <laughs> it's too much responsibility. I don't always want responsibility. I don't want the responsibility, all, you know. It's, it's constricting. So sometimes one feels that sense of not, not wanting, you know, want, not wanting that. Then you can make, then you know, I feel like that, and I feel a burden. Why do I always have to do this? Why do, why do people make me do this? <laughs> why do I have to get lumbered with this? You know? Why do I get stuck in this kind of thing? I don't want to be stuck. And I don't want to feel this way. I don't want to feel grumpy. I'm supposed to be wise and peaceful. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like my mind going like a petulant three-year-old. Stop it. You know? then, uh, then, you know, all this kind of inner, inner, how one thing can just kind of escalate into a whole inner drama of fighting with something in yourself. You know? Fighting with your your irritation. I don't want to be irritable. Like, uh, and then you know the the humbling experience as it comes down is it it doesn't matter whether you like it or not, whether you want it or not. This is what you got, right? You know, 
No matter how wise or whatever you're supposed to be, you, this is now, now it's this way. And you're doing it. Nobody else is doing it. Nobody else is doing it to you. You're doing it. On a, on a psychological level, it's you who, it's, it's happening nowhere else. <laughs> so it doesn't matter, you know, people, what are people are doing on one level, because you're still doing it. You're the one who's saying, I don't want this, I don't want this. And you can't stop it, you know? Because it's the particular, that thing that recognizes it is incapable of stopping doing it. The thing that suffers is incapable of not suffering. It doesn't know how to do it. It doesn't know how to stop wanting. So then it says, well, I mean, you know, I can, maybe I can sort of find ways out of it. I could sort of calm down a bit, or I could look the other way, or I could kind of put up a defense, a screen, or I could suppress it, that's good, I'm always good at that. <laughs> or I could be brave, you know, kind of whip up some bravery, or I could, you know, cheer myself up, or have a little drink or something, or blame somebody, get together with somebody else and, and blame this third person. You know, well, yeah, 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 I agree, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, the ways we, ways we find to do it. You know? Anything but to stop suffering. Suffering is my dearest possession. <laughs> the thing it's most difficult to give up. I don't know how to do it. But in the, the practice of abandonment is what is actually the, the willingness to, to fully recognize and not wriggle out of it, not just deflect it, not just uh, blame or excuse or either dump it inwardly like, oh, I'm just a rotten person. That's a, that's a cop-out. Or the world's, world's a mess. That's a cop-out. You know, people are not right or fair or good enough or I'm not good enough. This is all deflections onto reifying things that don't exist. Psychologically, they don't exist. You know, in, in terms of the heart, the psyche, there's no people, there's no things, there's just the experience of pain, release, holding, letting go. It's just this, it's a world of dynamic feeling. And the way we deflect it is we generally translate it into objective, independent realities that we have no way of dealing with. We, we, we cop out of resolving the solution by creating a reality of them and us and me as some permanent entity or the world as something. But right now, what is it? It's not wanting to feel a certain feeling, not wanting to be experiencing oneself in a certain mode of being trapped. But the practice of, of awareness and attention and mindfulness, bringing ourselves to that point, bringing our attention to that point, the practice of samadhi, of concentration, so you, you focus on that point. And, you, and then the, the abandonment is the giving up of all the excuses and the alternatives. Until we are seemingly, you think you're just left there squirming. But it's at that point of abandonment that the transcendent takes over. It's something, it's like the awareness penetrates the structures of self. It shatters the, these conventional 
realities of me and mine and the world and you and them and us and the past and the future and pleasure and pain and what I want and don't want it actually is able through the almost like the pressure of unresolvable suffering unresolvable dukkha uh, pushes the awareness through that structure and then the beauty of it is in the structure disappears the structure falls away the structure of self falls away the structure of me coping, dealing with, me understanding, me having the answers, falls away. And in that falling away, there's this release. There's uh, the experience of uh, something transcendent, big, big word, but compassionate, non-opinionated, at peace. And that's... Uh, that's the, uh, the sphere of realization. It's not an object. It's not something that we find. It's it's a sphere, which means the subject, the object, and the consciousness are all transformed. It's not the same old me experiencing some happiness, but that that experience of of abandonment means that the whole model of experience is changed. There's just that moment of union, union where there's no self, there's no subject, object, and something happening between the two. There's just, there's just this, there's just this moment, which is clear, which is expansive, which is, is measureless. And that's where, in that measureless Freedom, this is what freedom is, is wisdom and compassion. And that's, that's a, then this is what realization is, 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 is this experience. So that to go through that experience is immensely worthwhile. It's, it's it's better than not, not suffering. It's, it's better than actually avoiding it and, and, and patching it up and getting out of it. Otherwise, I'm sure the Buddha would have told us all the most ingenious ways to get out of it. You know, it's, very, it's very pragmatic teaching. The Buddha's teaching, uh, I teach only two things, suffering and the cessation of it. The aim of it is to, is to bring around your welfare. So with that in mind, you know, the Buddha is actually saying, this is really the way to, to bring around your greatest happiness, your greatest welfare. It's not just something that's kind of good for you in a painful way and probably serves you right. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually a transformation. What makes a person into Buddha is that, that through that experience, the whole psychic Reality is transformed. So a Buddha is no longer, can't be conceived of in the personality terms of what's he like, you know, what do you like to do, what do Buddhas like to eat for dinner? <laughs> what do Buddhas like to do on holiday? Where do, you know, these kind of things. And <laughs> what are your pet habits? It, it, can't, it can't be conceived of in the normal ways of, of a personality. So when we think of that, and we, we're so 
we're so accustomed to personality being the fundamental, real, core unit of experience, me, that the idea of there not being one think, sounds really weird, like some sort of bleak zombie, you know, like an automaton with no heart and no soul, no feelings, and just kind of, you know, functionally whirring around the planet <laughs> in a, some sort of mechanical programmed way until it keels over and flakes out. No, with no, no feelings, no, no sensitivity, no emotion, no enjoyment, no beauty, no love, just kind of hearing, seeing. <laughs> Occasionally. <laughs> Some sort of altruistic programming that makes it cranks out an occasional discourse for the unenlightened <laughs> as a sort of token of service to the world. But because you know, we always assume that 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 everything is the unit is the personality. So if there's no personality, all the, the, the kind of values and richness of life disappear because we take them all as personal. You know, I feel happy because I get something that makes me feel good. If I'm not doing that, I won't feel happy. There won't be any happiness. So, you know, beauty means something that I desire. If there's no desire, there won't be any beauty. You know? And... Um, I do things because I need to do things. If I don't, there's no need, I won't do anything. Just kind of sit there like some turnip. Because so. the, the, everything is taken in terms of these can only be achieved through the through through the movement of the personal impulse and 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 uh, need and desire. So if that's not there, then your life must be pretty dull. But when you, when you recognize it, actually the, the uh, beauty, for example, is one of the, one of the inclinations that our, our sense of self is not so complete as we think it is. It's not, it's not a total system. It's not something that we actually are, that we have to break. It's a particular habit that tends to, to, to mask the mind's true beauty. And at moments like true beauty or true love are ways in which there are glimmerings. There are, there are these holes, there are these possibilities for experiencing something that is anatta, that is selfless. Then you notice, say, with something that's, that is beautiful, that the more, the more you hold it and attach to it, the gradually the beauty dims and dwindles when you get used to it. It's most beautiful is when it's when it's just freely experienced, when it just happens freely, or or when with with love, like when it's something that's just free and undemanded and not set up. Then there's something that's that's incredibly moving and enriching about that. And when it starts, when we attach to it, then we start putting demands on it and expectations. Then it 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 dims it. It kind of dims it down 
to something that becomes more, much lesser than that true freedom. And yet we, we do experience these, uh, these states where, where the sense of self is, is limited or, or put aside momentarily. So this thing is not actually, uh, it is, as I said, the, the, you know, you're not getting into something that's fundamentally there. One is actually just freeing up a habit that tends to perf- powerfully affect our ways of experiencing things, but not totally, not, not completely. You know? All of us have the instinct towards, say, generosity and, and tolerance. We don't always do it, but we, we know what that means and we can do it, and we do do it. Something in us is, we recognize when we are no longer under stress or constraint or preoccupied, then there's something in us that feels quite, you know, we're easy about just being selfless. It's something that's quite natural to us. But of course, most of the time, we, we're under some duress. We're just under preoccupied, trying to figure something out. We're under this, or some stress or some burden. So actually, we don't, that, we don't operate. We don't, we don't realize our beauty. We don't act it out. But a Buddha can, because they, they've thrown off the burden. They can be themselves. They can be authentic. They can be a true, true human being without limits, the way that human beings can be. So these, the values like enlightenment and nibbana and so on, these, these terms which may seem esoteric, you have to, you know, these, these are just ways of expressing, trying to, you know, human values. Like love and generosity and uh, nobility of heart and beauty. These are not just kind of Buddhist concepts. And the path is what makes it possible? What makes it, you know, how is it possible to abandon suffering at all if? one's true nature actually is ignorance and desire, which sometimes it seems to be. <laughs> you know, if, if it actually was that way, it's just that we've got into the habit of allowing it to be that way, of going to that kind of habit mechanism. And often it's through, through Dharma practice and meditation practice that actually, you know, the habits are checked. Said, so, no, this doesn't work. You know, you can't act on that. And you're looking at it closely and you can't, your habits are, are uh, checked. The bluff is called, and you have to be authentic, and you have to be authentic, really, not not like from some some un, uh, thought that you have. It's got to happen uh, really and spontaneously and directly. So a lot of dharma practice is just setting up the structures that will actually push us to that point the restraint, the sense restraint, the giving up, the renunciation, the discipline, all these kind of painful words, you know? <laughs> the, wait for it, the commitment. <laughs> the, the C word. <laughs> the endurance and so forth. You know? 
that actually kind of hold you into a, a place where you can't wriggle out of it anymore. Mm. And the, so, but the, then, uh, is this a graduated path? Then we you recognise, you know, you, you make the commitment. It's not some somebody else can't trap you into it. It wouldn't work. You've got to do it yourself. And then you do it as far as your faith extends, as far as your courage extends. You know, really, not not as as much courage as we should have, but what we got. Because it will actually be continually replenished and strengthened by the realizations that come. But you can only go so far. So you, you go as far as you can, and then you get this is called the path, understanding the path or learning, and then you get the results, which is the fruit, and this is liberation. And because of that, one's faith is increased, one's courage is amplified, and one goes a bit further. And this is fairly standard. I mean, you know, we deal with our, say, physical pains or difficulties, our, some of our stress mechanisms, some of our... We give up things that we have quite a lot of longing for. And we're prepared to do that. And as we see the results, then it, it, it emboldens us to go further into our protection zones and give them up. So it's a, gra- it's a graduated path. And it's important to recognize that uh, rather than being an I- idealistic thing, like everybody give up everything right now, well, it is, it's a graduated, because it has to be graduated, because otherwise it would be saying you as a self do it. You now, now so, so that you, you can only operate from the cell. It's only as the self mechanisms begin to be actually changed that it becomes possible because self can't do it. What happens is we have enough faith to go an inch. Because of that going an inch, faith enables us to go. It's not self that does it, it's faith that enables us to go a bit further. Right? And every, the path is made possible by the enrichment of spiritual faculties that are not part of the self-structure. And I think one of the experiences one has in Dharma is this rather humbling realization that, you know, I can't do it, but it happens despite me. You know, and, and these, one surprises oneself. You think, well, I, you know, I, I didn't even know I could do that. And you, and you didn't. <laughs> but it, it kind of happened. It, you know, it happened through you. And through some sort of intuitive process that wasn't uh, uh, owned by the ego, by the personality structures. So this is like a, a fulfillment of the spiritual faculties so that the liberation is actually looked at in another sense, apart from the, the abandonment is one way of looking at it, the other sense is the fulfillment, is an enriching of our human experience, an enrichment of our mind, heart, psyche, spirit, whatever, consciousness, to the point where it becomes possible to drop things that are no longer relevant and no longer seen as essential. And in, in, in Buddha Dharma, then we, we have these impressive lists of spiritual faculties, the factors of enlightenment, seven factors of enlightenment, the five indriya 
Five Indriya are, are a portable, manageable list. And, and they are, they are in, an Indriya is like an authority. In, Indra is the, is the ruler of the gods in the, in the, in the Vedic uh, pantheon. So Indra is that which leads and dominates. So uh, Indriya is also refers to things like um, characteristic. For example, there's uh, Puris Indriya is the masculinity characteristic. So if, you're, if you have Puris Indriya, then you, you end up as a male. You know, that, that's the dominant characteristic is masculinity. You have it is femininity. Um, som, uh, somanas Indriya is, is uh, happiness. Dominus Indriya is depression. So these are faculties which you can see as either physical, uh, of long duration, like a lifespan, or, or momentary. And it means the thing that comes out on top and dominates and leads, and leads you. So, you know, this body is, is Puris Indriya, though I don't, you know, and not every experience in my, in my life is dominated by masculinity. I've got a body that's male, but the warmth of my body isn't male, and the hunger of my belly isn't male. I'm sure it's just the same as female. It's kind of unisex hunger. <laughs> my suffering is definitely unisex suffering. <laughs> my expressions of it can be different. You know, kind of male expressions of dukkha are different from female ones, but. So we've seen these as not as, as entities or selves, it's just kind of the what comes out on top, and they're all impermanent and they're all not self. And then you have this, what are called the spiritual indriyas, the, uh, the spiritual faculties, and these are sadindriya or, or um, confidence faith, that spiritual leader. You have virindriya, which is the spiritual leader of, of energy. Um, Satindriya, which is the spiritual leader of mindfulness or recollecting. Samadindriya is the spiritual leader of um, concentration, collectedness. And then Panyindriya, which is wisdom. So these then can be uh, leaders. And then the process of our practice is in finding this authority. So instead of being the kind of disempowered being under the pin of dukkha, where we're, we're crushed and incapable, then we are empowered, but not in terms of self. There's faith, there's energy, there's mindfulness, there's concentration, there's, there's understanding. And in our Dharma practice, then we are pouring our, our life energies, our, our resourcefulness, our attention into engendering sustaining and revering those qualities. We, we, we try to bring them up. We try to put them up above whether I'm having a good time or not, above uh, pleasure, indriya. We, we lift them up. And the more you lift them up, the more uh, they will lift you up. It's simple. And most of us have got a kind of a, you know, you begin to get a, a basic intuition of what you, what you lead with. So we do these retreats, you know, it means you have to put up with, you don't do retreat because you, you're looking for kicks. Mm. Apart, well, you know, not pleasure kicks anyway. Mm. So there's that, uh, you're putting your faith and that, 
that, that courage, you're lifting it up. So, you know, I'm going to you know, put myself through something. And uh, energy, you know, it means a subs- quite a substantial outpouring of, of energy into what is not necessarily pleasant or gratifying. The energy goes towards being awake and mindful, which is quite testing, isn't it? To really attend to what's happening in all its strangeness and its, its uh, uncontrollableness and its non-selfness. And then, uh, and so then you, but you're raising that up. And then look, to concentrate, to keep collecting and focusing and to reflect. But the, the graduated path of this is as this is, 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 comes around, and this is what abandons, this is what's capable of abandoning suffering. And you notice it in the moment, in the moment of dukkha, what, what, what springs the trap is some, is that, is the, is the, the, uh, fulfillment of that. There's a sense of, of faith or ability to, to, uh, to, give, to give up, to, to leap out. To, there's that courage. Something in us stops doing it. We stop struggling. We're prepared to be with and bear with. That's, that's, that's faith. That's, that's where it happens right in the, the experience of the Four Noble Truths. It's just, just, just there, that point, where it's, it's vital. So, in the sequence of them, it's always, faith is always the beginning of it. Without that, the others don't get going. That's the beginning, of, and that's the one that, that goes down. Whenever you, whenever you suffer and you don't understand it, then it, your faith gets destroyed or gets knocked down. So there, you know, you're struggling. Oh, I used to know how to do I didn't, why am I doing this? I didn't, I don't. Then you feel confused. You don't have faith anymore. Because you took, you took it personally. You said, I have wisdom. I am, I am insightful. I've been practicing for 700 years or whatever long it is, you know. Therefore I know. And I didn't suffer. Yes, I've got it sorted out. And then, Look out, because sooner or later, whoops, uh, the rug is going to come out from under you again. Because you can't take any of this as a self. You can't collect wisdom. You have to have that, that what grows is the understanding of the, the path and the fruit. And there's a recognition that suffering must be understood. This is the only wisdom you can, you can really store. <laughs> suffering is to be understood. And then the rest of it, it occurs through, through the dynamic of that, of that process of standing right up against suffering till there is the abandonment. With the abandonment of that, the abandonment of struggling, the abandonment of desire, the abandonment of attachment, the abandonment of ignorance, of not seeing, of ignoring, of avoiding, and of, of believing in. Of ignorance also means to have the wrong view, to see things wrongly, as self, some kind of ultimate reality.
and that is abandoned. And therefore there's a realization of something beyond self, transcendence. So this is the, uh, the way that, that suffering is actually profitable because it enlarges us. And the, the footmarks of the Buddha, the, the, the print, the, the footprint, the tracks, if you like, you know, that, that uh, one can recognize. You know. What is it like? It's very related to, to your experience. And people do, they do selfless acts. They're acts of generosity. Unsolicited generosity. They're acts of great nobility. They're acts of sacrifice and relinquishment. They're acts of great courage. They're acts of great patience. These are the things that you know, are, are signs of that in us which takes us out of that the realm of self into the sphere of the transcendent. So it's certainly the there's a the there's a realization and there's a path that leads to it, the path which reminds us of what our commitment has to be to, towards these these values and these practices and these ways of even creating situations where we are almost kind of pressured into it by obligation, by, uh, by truth. That's why, you, and the, as the more you practice, the more you, something in you, the wiser aspects recognize you need to experience that, to, to actually make the commitment stronger in order to keep up that sense of, of the pressure of Dhamma. And we go to like um, meditation monasteries, you know, are generally quite hard. And they're not hard in a you know, you wouldn't think it's some sort of puritanical ideology. Uh, or they think that, like, austerity is, is some sort of moral stance, that we disapprove of everything else, because we, we're so pure and prudish, that we only like what's really austere. But it's just, nobody likes it, actually. <laughs> <laughs> On the sense of self, but you, you recognize... What is it that, that stops, the sh- that, that blocks the escape holes? You know, that kind of, so you, you have to keep aware and recognizing and going through the process of, of dukkha, samudaya, nirodha, magga, that is, suffering, origin, cessation, path. Because the fruits of it, of the realization of truth, far exceed the ordinary comforts and convenience of. Uh, getting one's own way. Certainly these uh, like, um, people like Ajahn Chah, for example, the, the forest master who's our kind of inspiration would, would actually deliberately make it quite tough for people. Mm-hmm. Actually, you have to, to, to uh, you know, to, to be confronted by things, to, to set up things that make it difficult, awkward, inconvenient slow you down, 
wear you out, poke you into corners, push you over edges. Because of that, and the, the one only sticks around because something in you, even though part of your mind complains, something in you recognizes, you know, you know this, this is the path. It's the path is to actually, you know, keep close to the Four Noble Truths, which generally means keeping close to the first one. <laughs> <laughs> As, best, as, as in, in accordance with our faith, in accordance with our, with our uh, faculty. So there's a kind of voluntariness. One undertakes, one doesn't, you're not obliged, you, you undertake, you kind of enter in and you, you take on what you can. And that, that's the, this is the way. But it's important to recognize that way. That, that way of understanding suffering is the only way out of it. And the way out of it is far greater than just feeling okay and having pleasant feelings. It's to the, the sphere, the transcendent sphere, where our lives are made noble and free of blemish. It is um, free, of, free of the possibility of suffering. 